Hey, hey, it's G-Mac and Doug Brown, such as they are. Here are the highlights of Saturday night's game. Bombers, Saskatchewan, in Regina. There's the snap. Falls on the tee. It's certainly long enough by Lowther. And it is good. A 49-yard field goal. Trying to make his second field goal of the game. The kick is up. Boy, is it ever long enough. And it's good. 48 yards for Lowther. And Tremor the holder, right in the middle of the field. Good snap, ball down, it's up, and it is good. The Bombers have their first points. Comes the pressure, and he gets away from Jeff Cote, being chased by a couple of Bombers, including Combo, and he'll get out of bounds, but he'll have the first down, and then he goes flying into the Bomber bench. Going long down the right side, and it's tipped into the arms of the receiver. Jack Evans at the Bomber 14-13 yard line. 21 yards. Snap by Brett Lowler. John Ryan the holder. Good snap. Ball down. Kick up and it is good. Strebler pressure coming. He fumbles and let's see who's got it. I think the Riders have got it. Chad Rempel sends it back. It's on the tee. It's in the air. Looks good from here and it is. Into the end zone he goes with it and Jack Evans makes the catch. There's a flag down. High snap. Get it down, and the kick is good. Pass Pajardo. And it's complete to Jack Evans. To the 40, to the 30. He's to the 20. Touchdown, Saskatchewan. This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It was like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. All right, welcome to the Blue Bomber Podcast. He's Doug, I'm Greg, and Doug Brown. Not exactly what Blue Bomber fans were looking for in terms of a result, but can we find anything to glean from this that is positive? I thought the defense really regained their form on Saturday night. There were some that argue that this defense is not all that good in the first place. I would vehemently disagree with those folks that defense looked like the blue bomber defense that we've been seeing most of this season yeah i mean for this team as a whole we've been looking for a response game at some point after these losses and we got one from the defense right they kept this football team this football team didn't deserve to be in this game but the defense kept them in this game and they held out as long as they could uh, until finally Shaq Evans uh, broke one and, and they scored a touchdown. The only touchdown scored in this game. And, Fair to uh, say that it might have been the Blue Bomber defense trying to score six of their own that, that might have made that play possible. Yeah, sometimes when you're uh, when you're a defensive player and you're sitting, you just know things aren't working on the other side of the ball and it's in the third, late in the third or early in the fourth, you're like, the, the realization dawns on you and your teammates. You look around, you're like, guys, I think... We're actually, we're the defensive players out here, but I think maybe we should probably score. You know, that sometimes dawns on the players. Not all at the same time. It's not something you collectively say. I mean, your coordinator will always tell you, hey, yeah, we got to score. We got to take away. We got to, you know. But at some point in the game when the offense is having the kind of game that the offense was having 
which was not much of a game, it does, you know, the realization does come to guys in your secondary that, yeah, maybe I should uh, take a chance and uh, take a break on this football and try to undercut this. And it's risk, high risk, high reward, and uh, you miss it. And then what happens is is what happens. But you can't fault, I do not fault the defense for anything that went on in this game in Saskatchewan. Um, I, I think... I think they were they were uber aggressive this game. They they really really stepped it up. We asked, of course, I asked Michael Shea in the post game. You know, were you guys more aggressive? Was the play calling more aggressive? And he shut that down like he shuts down every question you ask him. But um, to us, it was very obvious that they were they were super multiple on defense, different fronts, different blitzes, dropping guys here, bringing guys from there. Um, they were just, uh, and, and it seems like more than half the calls, they were getting after it, and they were just showing different variations of attacking, uh, aggressive football. Uh, it was uh, it was fun. It was refreshing to them. I mean, they sacked the quarterback four times, and this is a guy that can escape. This is a guy that sometimes you got to be careful. you got to be a little bit leery about getting too much pressure in the face of Cody Fajardo. Not only uh, can he get the ball out on time and, and to his hot route, but... Um, he can escape that rush. He can be hard to contain. They sacked him four times. I mean that that is incredible. That's a feat in itself. And he kept them off. They kept them off the scoreboard for as long as they did uh, throughout this game. So I thought the def- my hat was off to the defense for sure in terms of you know having that pride and and having that response game and having that reaction that we've been looking for for so long from this football team as it's been going through this losing streak. So two things that were different, at least. In terms of setup, Richie Hall, uh, dealing with a family situation, was not with the Blue Bombers this week. So that means somebody else was calling the defensive plays. And in a time of whatever is going on in Richie Hall's personal life, we're not here to shit on him. That's not what we're here to do. Yeah, but, I mean, it was his defense, but right? It they is, were calling. They're, that, they're that's right. Plays, right. So, but there are going to be those that are going to say, hey... <laughs> Who is calling those plays? And is this a situation where perhaps it's a fresh perspective? Brandon Alexander back in the lineup at safety, which yeah. is unusual. Jeff hecked out with the injury. I, I can't imagine that Alexander's presence at safety changed everything for the Blue Bombers. So mostly the same I think personnel. It, it, it didn't hurt, right? Yeah. I mean, he's he's the leader of that secondary. He's very physical. He's experienced. Um, you know, we didn't see communication errors. We didn't see guys getting behind the the last level of defense and just standing there waving a, a flag for the quarterback to throw him the ball kind of thing. There weren't drops in coverage, it didn't seem. So uh, to me, you know, the biggest thing was the connection now between the defensive line and the secondary. With as much pressure as we just talked about that they got – it seemed like the secondary was like, hey, we need to play real aggressive on these coverages because the ball's coming out right away. They counted on their 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 front to get there, to get that heat, and they understood that the ball had to come out quickly. So cushions be damned, right? They threw the cushions out the window and uh, put their hard hats on, and, and it, was, uh, it was a seamlessly aggressive front from the defensive line all the way to the secondary. I think they played uh, complementary, and I think they all were wearing uh, that same kind of hard hat in this game. We talk about complementary football and have broken it down in the past. Typically, it's between offense, defense, and special teams. But in this case, I think you mean between the D-line, the linebackers, and the defensive yeah. backfield. All on the same page. All right? on the same page and working a strategy that, that that clearly, for the most part, made sense. And what I what I mean by that is if, you're, if you've got a five- or a six-man pressure... Well, then you shouldn't be playing 
off a guy in zone kind of thing, you know? And for me, so they all were working together. They were all aware. That's, I mean, sometimes you get tunnel vision as a player. You, I get a, you know, I get a call on the defense and I'm like, okay, I'm hitting this a gap. But you gotta, sometimes it helps for you to listen and hear, you know, you're hitting this because why, because there's a pressure here because the ball has to come out. Da, 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 da. So it, it seemed like the guys, the team had a good understanding of what they were doing as a group and the mission accomplished for the most part. So now we got to tackle the bad news and, and it's, it's pretty bad. If you ask me the offense, uh, you have a question here. I'm going to wait and ask you in just a minute with regards to Chris Strebler, but something that jumped out for me, Doug, when you were breaking down, what was better for the blue bombers Saturday versus the Friday previous against Hamilton, you use the word different, you use the word multiple, you use the word looks, and that's not what I'm seeing from this blue bomber offense. There seems to be absolutely limited, if zero uh, creativity anymore on how to use the running skills. Skills that Chris Traveler obviously has. You have a running back in Johnny Augustine who is not being utilized. I've asked Bob Irving to ask the coach on the coach's show, where are the multi-back sets? Where is the wildcat? Where is something that takes advantage of Chris Traveler's strengths as opposed to hammering that square peg into a round hole because I think we've learned for as much as most of us like Chris Trevler's competitiveness and the way he goes about things, throwing the ball downfield is not his strength at this point. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's just inconsistent with it, right? Sometimes he makes a throw and you're like, wow, that was great. And other times he throws it right to the defensive player wearing the different color jersey and you're like... I don't even see the blue bomber player there, you know? So it's just, he's just erratic and that's how young players are sometimes. And it's, you never know how much time he needs. Uh, is he about to turn that corner? Is he about to learn his lessons? Uh, obviously they spend a lot more time with him. They have a lot more faith and belief in him. So you have to give them some credit in the sense that they must feel he's right on the, the crest of, of but what about in the meantime, things, but, what do you do in the yeah. meantime? And this and, offense just looks, they look flat. And they, they don't have that kind of energy that we've seen sometimes from these, Paul. I mean, we've seen, at least in first halves, we've seen some scripted plays mm -hmm. where it's just been super dynamic, very impressive. They're outflanking. They're outnumbering guys at the point of attack. Uh, it's, been, it's been the energy this team has had. They've just been rolling. And then they hit a wall. Right but now, you know, in this game, we just never saw them get going at all in this game, right? So... Before we were complaining, we were disappointed with the fact that this offense couldn't play four quarters, right? They were playing two hells out, right? And they were getting a massive lead and then they got figured out and they didn't have a response. They didn't have an adjustment. They didn't know what the their opponents were going to do and making a counter move to to act to that. So, uh, um, But now, yeah, this game... It just it never got going at all, right? This was an offense that never got in sync, never got in gear at all in this game. And when I watch Chris Trevler right now, first of all, uh, you know I don't think he's uh, I don't think he's hundred percent healthy. When I have seen him run right now, he doesn't look as mm -hmm. explosive or fluid. Seems or, impossible that he wouldn't be dealing with something at yeah, this the point. Yeah, kind of shots he's taking. I mean, even you even had Craig Dickinson uh, in the comments leading up to this game. Saying, remarking that Chris Strebler looks beaten up, which I was blown away because you never have head coaches talking about players outside of their own players. He went and talked about the other team's starting quarterback, saying how, yeah, he looks like he's a little beaten up, but that's understandable from all the shots he's taken. You know, I'm just like, wow, I couldn't believe he was that brazen. And 
bold with his comments and remarks. But so when I have seen Strebler run the ball, he doesn't look the same anymore. And uh, and then when I see him stand in the pocket, I see him trying to become something that he's not. He just it's just a, not a natural look for him back there. Uh, he he just looks uncomfortable. His footwork looks uncomfortable. His throwing motion is is uncomfortable, and it's and it's inconsistent, right? That's that's what it is right now, and uh, it's unfortunate. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know if if uh, Paul Apolis should change the offense and plays to suit Chris. Yes, because oh, Chris <laughs> Chris is not changing to suit the offense that that he's in. So well, and you have to yeah. wonder if he's capable of doing that. Yeah. I think yeah. it's I think it's obvious to anybody's watching that he's not capable at this point of doing that. And th- there was one angle that they showed on the television broadcast uh, where where they had a face on camera, and you could see Strevler going through his progression, and it was like. You couldn't possibly ascertain what was going on in that play as quickly as he was going through those progressions. His eyes are going different places, but I, I can't imagine that he's getting an accurate read because as we've discussed so often, Doug, when you're uncomfortable, you go to your fallback and we yeah. know for Chris Trevler that is to Pull. tuck the ball and, and run with it. So do the Blue Bombers, A, uh, need to wear this whole idea of not going out and, you know, begging anyone from Kevin Glenn to Colin Kaepernick to come to Winnipeg to try and salvage a season that started with so much promise? Or does Paul LaPolice wear some of this for not changing the offense and going, okay, I guess we're not going to be able to throw, so we're going to run some two-back sets, some three-back sets, we're going to go college, we're going to go wishbone, we're going to go wildcat, we're going to do something that at least has a chance of working. Yeah, I mean, you really have two choices. You either adapt to what Chris Strebler can do well, as because it's not working trying to get him to fit into what you want to do. So you better start doing what he can do. Uh, but I think it's irresponsible to not have uh, proven veteran number two, uh, because as of right now, it's it's Chris Strebler or nothing. There's no other option there. You are a guaranteed playoff team this year. You're still in the running to have a home playoff game. For you not to have a veteran number two, and the whole thing about you know recruiting uh, a veteran quarterback has been nobody wants to come here because they're not offering number 2 they're offering the number 3 position okay and to me that is ludicrous uh to me that that says well it's Chris Traveler McGuire uh or we're just going to hang our Adams. hats or we're just going to hang our hat on the fact that our starting quarterback got hurt and and that's right that's we'll- the footnote on the 2019 season is Matt Nichols got hurt so Hey, we tried, we did what we could with what we had, but no, you didn't because you didn't bring anybody else in. You still have an opportunity in front of you. If Paul Apolice isn't going to, you know, play off the strengths of, and you know what, it might not be a viable offense. You know, Chris Strebler might not be, I mean, I've, I've written columns about this for since training camp, how, you know, he's not necessarily your best number two because he doesn't do what your number one does, right? His skill set is entirely different. And I just got ridiculed for that comment. Oh, how dare you say this about Chris Trevler? I'm like, the guy does not have, your number two should have the same skill set as your number one. So you can put him in there and you can run the same plays and you can't do that with Chris Trevler and they don't. And now they're saying, well, McGuire has to be, that is insulting to say a guy, I don't care what he did in the preseason. I don't care what he does on a daily basis in practice. 
you're going to go in a playoff game and that's going to be the guy that goes in if you're not getting it done with Chris Strebler? Mm-hmm. That to me just says, well, it's it's over, it's done, right? If if you can't make it go with Strebler, then then what else are you going to do? So we've heard so often in the last couple of years, it's all well and good to have Andrew Harris as your tailback, but you need a Canadian who can be his backup. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to turn your import uh, ratio. Upside down in yeah. order to, to, to keep doing the things that you're doing. And that's why Johnny Augustine is such a spectacular addition as his backup. So you were there in 2007. You lived when through the whole idea of getting dinwiddies. It's, it's now a verb now for teams. You don't want to get dinwiddied in going into the playoffs or a championship game. And well, have that as a guy's first start. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, so it's it's ludicrous. It's a was it ludicrous proposition? Was it ridiculous at the time that the Bombers were walking a tightrope like that with Kevin Glenn at, as your starter? Well, at least that didn't happen till the Eastern Final, though. But you know was it I'm was saying? it hanging in anybody's back of the mind that you know, God forbid something happen? Like, like take us back it's, to it's that. It's one thing. It's one thing when he gets hurt and boom, you're like, whoa, and it's past the the deadline for... Well, you're for not the general Friday. manager. You're not supposed to be worrying about that anyway. Yeah, but. you're not. And, you know, Kevin was having the greatest season of his entire career. Sure. Little did we know it at that time. So, um, but yeah, it was a disaster bringing in a guy that had never started in the CFL before until then, right? He'd, he'd done some mop-up backup duty and, and that was the extent of it, but... Uh, you know, we've known for a long time that Chris Strebler has a very different set of skills than Matt Nichols. They're very different quarterbacks yet, you know, and it was fine for him to come in and run his short yardage package and run some plays as a change-up pitcher. We talked about that. That's fantastic. But he's not a guy you can put into a Matt Nichols offense. You can't, it's, he's not anywhere near, they couldn't be more different, right? And so now they're sitting there, and and the refusal or the inability to bring in uh, a pro, uh, like like I said, and it sounds like the biggest difficulty in getting a guy to come here is the fact that they won't offer anyone the number two spot as opposed to the number three, which just tells me, are do you really want anyone to come in here? And and maybe are are we done? Were we done once once Nichols? Uh, was out for the season with, with surgery. Well, the fact that you, you haven't been able to do that to this point and the fact that you don't have a a backup playbook for your black backup quarterback who plays completely different tells us uh, some things in terms of preparations. So statistics aside, is Strevler getting, like, is he getting worse? Are teams just figuring him out? Is he, you mentioned the fact that he's banged up. Yeah. How do we boil boil this all down, Doug? Well, that's just it. I think I think he's he's compromised right now physically. Um, running, he, he doesn't seem, he doesn't have the same pop back there, right? Not the same snap at all. Um, statistically, what it, he's averaging, what, 6.9 yards per, per pass. Um, now, having your receivers getting your yards after the catch factors into that, but obviously that is the lowest average per, per completion in the CFL. So you're like, okay, we all know, we're all watching. He throws a lot of short passes, a lot of short to medium, tons of short stuff. But then you look at his interception percentage, and he has stuff. the highest interception percent, even though he's got... As we know, the the fewest average yards per pass, right? And we know he's throwing all these short passes. So the least still, ri- the least risky approach, the least risky stuff. He still has the highest yeah. interception percentage out of anyone, which tells you there aren't 
any least risky passes going on. There aren't any high percentage balls being thrown out, the quick hitters. and, and Every and pass is an adventure. You could yeah, make that sometimes argument. Sometimes he has more trouble with the short stuff than he does, you know, throwing the ball down. And we've already seen uh, this game in, in particular, you know, under-throwing guys into the end zone, you know, when you're going deep. The last thing you want to do when you're going deep is under-throw football, right? Because if your guy's got a step... I mean, that's where all the coverage is, is is you can't, that's like the cardinal rule of throwing uh, of throwing vertical, is you can't underthrow it. If anything, you got to overthrow it, right? Unless so. it's by design, and those are on very, very specific plays. Yeah, unless you're plays. throwing a guy open, and, and, you know, he knows about it, and so on and so forth. So, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a combination of stuff, is that teams are very comfortable with the tape they have on them. They've seen... Um, They've seen the the blueprints now for how to defeat, how to confuse him, uh, how to get him to, to force the ball in, into a bad situation. And he's not the same running threat he was before he's been hit 400 times, right? So I think everything like that compiles together, and, and that's uh, – you know, the culmination of these factors is what you're seeing in our offense right now. So the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, and Hamilton Tiger Cats, I think in the conversation, is the two best teams in the CFL. But do we not have to include the Montreal Alouettes in that discussion? Yeah, I mean, they just beat Calgary, right? And uh, they just clinched the playoff spot. And you want to talk about a team with momentum and belief and just think they can. Kind of, they're the little engine that could right now, right? With Kahari Jones there. You want to talk about an emotional leader of your football team he's got these guys believing they could go beat the patriots in foxborough right like it's unbelievable the turnaround and and you know he's he's the genesis for this that is all kahari jones and that just shows you leadership and belief in your in your headmaster there uh, in terms of uh running your football team the the guy at the at the top there he's just He's turned this team around. It's been it's been incredible. So that's no easy task. I mean, we've been waiting for that response game from that Montreal meltdown, right? And uh, we haven't seen it yet. We got it from the defense. This time, you know, it's going to be right in your face. Uh, Bob and I talked about it uh, on the postgame show, and I was like, man, I'm worried about this. <coughs> and he was like, well, at least Montreal – doesn't have the same defense that Saskatchewan does. So there should be more opportunity. This is a game in that first half, if we can remember, Chris Strebler, Andrew Harris, all of them, they ran wild against the Alouettes in that first half, putting up crazy points, and uh, it all fell apart. They got figured out. They got they got shut down in the second half. But, man, did they have opportunity. They, that was probably the best half of offensive football I've seen. Matt Nichols, Chris Strebler, or anything. I mean, it seems like... 100 years ago now, that Montreal game, but hopefully those opportunities and that defense they're operating against, uh, hopefully they still have the same vulnerabilities. How do you approach this if you are Mike O'Shea, if you are the leader of this team? How do you convince uh, this group to continue soldiering on? There have got to be questions creeping in. Tell us, bring us into the dressing room. You know, we've had this discussion in the last couple of years you know that there are separations and there are cliques within football teams. A lot of them are positional. Some of them uh, have to do with uh, whose buddies on the team. But is the defense starting to look at the offense and go, guys, you really got to pick it up here because 
Well, the be- the defense almost gave up what a thousand yards in three quarters or something like that of play. So that so that's might not be creeping <laughs> so, in yet. So they might not quite be there yet, <laughs> where they're starting to uh, puff out their chests and, and feel overly good about themselves. It was uh, like you say that one quarter of the Montreal game and the first two quarters uh, of the the Hamilton game that uh, probably is going to prevent them from uh, looking down on their noses uh, towards the offense right now. So. If there's one thing I think we can believe uh, uh, across the board on this football team is that that locker room is pretty pretty solid. Uh, they've got good leadership in there, guys that understand the pitfalls of, of the phases warring against one another. So, uh, And like you said, they're not too far off of uh, some very dreadful performances themselves to understand that's the nature of the business, the ups and downs. And the moment you start uh, thinking you're you're too cool for school is the moment you know you you get some numbers slapped down in your in front of your face as well. Montreal here Saturday, IG Field. The weather is going to be very Winnipeg like. It's going to be very playoff like. And then the Bombers go to Calgary and finish off their regular season hosting Calgary Stampeders. Uh, where do you think the Winnipeg Blue Bombers play their now guaranteed playoff game? Where do you see it happening? Wow. Um, maybe in Calgary, who knows, you know, it's, uh, you're hoping, I mean, at one point it was first place, right. And that really doesn't seem feasible anymore. Uh, second place maybe, but like I said, you, you have to beat Montreal already just to even set up, uh, the games for Calgary to mean something. And if you get a split with Calgary, I'm sure I'm not sure that's enough to even get you second place. For for me, it's it's battling for a home playoff game right now in, in the number two position. I, I think uh, number one just got away from them in, in Saskatchewan this week, so could still have a home playoff game, but it might be against Calgary, and uh, it might not be with a first round bye in hand. Doug Brown, we will reconvene next week. Thank you for this. All right, brother. Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com.